everyone out there pays a lot of attention to credit score. You can read all the books you want. You can save up the money. If your credit score is 600, it's going to be expensive. It's easy to pay a bill if you have the money on time. Paying it a few days late after the 30th of the month shows up on your credit report, and it takes a long time to figure that out, especially on what I said was our favorite type of loan, those term loans. It's a credit score-based rate that you're going to get. Keep your credit as high as you can as in terms of your credit score. Balance is low. Pay on time. You're gonna, everyone knows they got to get an education. Everyone knows that they need to have the capital there, but, but pay attention to that credit score from now. Welcome to the InvestNest Real Estate Investing Show, a community for real estate investors to learn, network, and grow. Be sure to join the InvestNest.com and start learning and earning today. All right, and now it's time to welcome our next invest guest to the show. We talk about different types of funding and real estate investing all the time, all different aspects of real estate investing. But today we're really going to focus in on the funding side of things. And very happy to welcome to the show Ezra Dweck. He is with IceCap Group, and they are a private funding group for real estate investors out of the New York and mostly Jersey area, I believe. But they also help investors all across the country. But Ezra is going to tell us a little bit more about that and some more about what they do. So uh, Ezra, welcome to the Invest Nest. Thank you, Travis. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad we've, we've gone back and forth for a few weeks. I've been really anxious to get you on because this is a topic that I know a lot of our listeners are interested in. So I'm glad we were able to connect and I appreciate you joining me. How are things going in the funding world these days? Everything on the up and up? Things are going well. It was dicey there from, let's say, mid-March of, of 2020 up until September, October. Things, September, October, things started to get moving a little bit again, and we're getting close to where we were pre-pandemic. So we're looking forward to get this pandemic fully behind us, but we're running at about 80% of where we were before. And so that's, it's, it's a lot of volume. Yeah, things, things are, are coming back. Very cool. I'm curious about that, how the pandemic affected you from your side of things. I know from the investor side, some of the challenges we faced, but we'll get to that in a minute. But first, tell us a little bit about IceCap Group and what it is that you guys do. So IceCap Group is the descendant. It was, it's what came out of a partnership between me and Joe Obed and Joe Obed's family. About three and a half, almost four years ago now, I joined up with this with his family office. And the, the first of the family who didn't want to go into the garment business was Joe Obed. And he said, I want to be in the real estate business. So we got together, said, we don't know exactly what we're going to do, but we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out quickly. We got together and looked at buying some buildings and doing some debt. And that spreadsheet of a bunch of different investment opportunities that we had. And we said, we wanted to grow, have a nice portfolio, but it was only the two of us. So we said we can get the benefit of value-add real estate without actually doing the work by investing in the debt. So we said, let's find guys, men, women, whatever it is, who we think are going to have good projects that are going to succeed. And we'll make some money. They'll make the lion's share of the money, but we can be sprinkled around lots of different projects. That's how we started. And 1,100 plus loans later, We've grown into like a, a real, at least regional player, trying to be a, a nationwide player that lends money to real estate entrepreneurs in the fix and flip space, multifamily space, ground up space, and helps them out in, in terms of term loans once they've done 
they've completed the project if they don't want to sell and they want to hold it for a while. Okay, cool. And I want to talk more about the loans and the different ways you can help mm -hmm. our investors in a minute, but that's interesting. So yeah. you, when you guys first partnered and decided to get into real estate, was it with the mindset that you were going to be on the lending side initially, or did you, were you guys starting out to grow a portfolio of your own? So I was in a syndication shop in Brooklyn before I joined up with Joe and his family. And we were moving around rent stabilized tenants. And I realized a few things very quickly. I didn't like the whole rent stabilization game in New York. I felt that the tides were moving against us and it just, it just didn't feel like, and there were some shady players there and didn't want to be involved. And then I just didn't like syndication. So those two lessons learned quickly, quickly, like three and a half, four years and joined up with Joe. And I said, look, I have this skill set of really being able to underwrite multifamily deals in real estate. I built it up. I understand it, understand taxes, rental laws and, and the like, and let's join up. He said, okay, I like it. Also agree. We don't want to be in the rent stabilization game. We want to be in real estate and we don't know what we're going to do. We really just like, started a spreadsheet and just started writing things down. Hard money lending, multifamily, single family, trailer parks, solar farms, lots of different things, kind of like checking off, like here's a list of things we're going to look at. And we narrowed it down to buying some multifamily and putting out some loans. So in like the July, so I started June of 2017, July of 2017, we put out our first loan, terrible loan. We, we would never do it again. It was ended up all ended up well and the borrowers performed, but it was like the loan we wouldn't do now, but we did it. And at the same time, I think we went into contract in like one building. So we ended up buying four buildings and putting out and in, in the first year about a dozen loans. But then we said, we like this lending business and we just fully, so it wasn't something we walked in saying, we want to be in this business. It was getting there, figuring it out, figuring out capital structure, then saying, this is a really fun business. And we could, we get the opportunity to, to team up with the best people. So we have many hundreds of really good real estate entrepreneurs that we consider them partners and we partner with them and have watched their projects succeed. And great thing is we don't have to do the work, right? Someone else is coming up with all the great ideas, doing the work and we just get to, hey, and that's a great idea. Well, well you know. We'll back you up on that one. So it was definitely organic and it wasn't something that we planned. It was something that we thought was a possibility. We didn't think this was a possibility, right? Like to the, to the extent that we've grown, we didn't think that was really realistic, but we're happy to be here. Yeah. So it kind of evolved into where you guys are now. And, you know, I wasn't really expecting this interview to go down this path, but since we're kind of on the topic of, you know, I talk a lot about on the podcast, taking action and being goal oriented and focused. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you were involved with real estate and weren't happy with what was going on or what you were doing or certain aspects of it. So you needed yeah. to change. You found a partner and you guys started it just by writing a list of different ideas on a piece of paper. Like that's the kind of stuff that it really takes. I mean, we can get overwhelmed for newbies out there listening that want to get into real estate investing and they don't necessarily know where to start. It can be overwhelming. You see people flipping houses or you see buy and hold investors. You see people trying to burr or multifamily. And it can be difficult to you know, figure out where to begin. So just by the fact that you guys you know, got together and wrote down a list of ideas, it's a great start because from there you can start to identify the, one, the ideas or the aspects that you guys probably enjoy or think you might enjoy versus the ones that you might automatically know this one's out. And it kind of slowly allows you to narrow that focus in. And you know, so that's just great stuff. I mean, that's I guess just since we're on this, before we get into the specifics of the lending side of things, mm -hmm. when you guys first started out, 
this type of business that you guys were trying to build or ended up building, what were some of the challenges that you faced? And was there a point in time where you thought that this might not necessarily work? Yeah, every, every day. <laughs> every, like, oh, I can't believe it. Yeah. So some of the challenges were the family that we had been involved in and never with and was getting us our funding had never done debt before. Right. So you had some money. That was also a challenge, right? It wasn't unlimited capital. So it, what you find out in any of these investment businesses is you're going to run out of money quickly. So you have a, if you're just using your own equity, you have, unless your dad is Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, you're going to run out of, and, and they got your back, you're going to run out of money quickly. And if you don't, you're not generating a high enough return. So the challenges in the beginning were we had a bucket of capital that they said, all right, have, you know, let's see what you guys can do. And it really wasn't going to be enough for us to, for Joe and me to make a living, plus to have a return for the family. So we had to have a proof of concept. So we said, all right, if we have X number of millions of dollars that we can lend, we can then bring in investors and then we can lever it. And there's different ways to make that, let's say million dollars, which it wasn't a million dollars into multiply that by five. So that would make it into 5 million. And then again, by four, making 20. So every million we turn into 20 million, which was kind of a challenge there saying, okay. And then that out, the return on our million was able to go from eight, nine, 10%. We were charging our investors up to 20% once we applied leverage and, and making some money on investor money. So that was an obstacle challenge and like a, this fun mathematical mental exercise. Like how do you generate 20 plus percent returns for your anchor investors and for your friends and family investors while you only have a vehicle that's making nine percent or eight percent or whatever it is so that was definitely an interesting challenge i'd say that was there a time that we didn't that we weren't sure that we were going to be around for a while i'd say middle of march 2020 definitely took a step back and i had to say okay we built this up over the last i guess at that point it was two and a half years and it was a real business i mean we had done in 2019 we went from doing we had done, we did over $440 million in 2019. So we went from literally zero. We did one loan for like 600 grand in July of 2017, $3 million 2017, almost hundred million in 2018, $440 million 2019, March, 2020. I have no idea. Am I going to have a business? Am I going to, is everything that I started, like I built going to, and we built really going to go down the tubes. My, is my, are my savings going to go away? And that was scary. And it really was scary. And that was the time where we said, okay, you know, how, how do we protect ourselves? What's our future going to look like? What are the possible different outcomes there? And for me, at least psychologically, it was, I had to step back and say, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. And at this point, it's out of my control. I can be proud of what I've built over these past, over the past several years. And I'm not going to take credit if the world turns right side up and I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat myself up too much if it, if it goes in the other direction. So I hope I answered the question. If I missed part of it, you'll, you'll remind me. No, absolutely. And that's great perspective. I think honestly, a lot of people can relate to that, whether it was a business they had started or even just their job or their career, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknown back in March yeah. of last year. So, I mean, I think that really just from the perspective of somebody who had started a business and facing the challenges that you had mentioned to somebody working in a restaurant or a diner. I mean, we all kind of face that, but the way you just put it where you're not going to take all the credit if things just work out miraculously in your favor, but at the same time, you can't beat yourself up over something that's not in your hands and out of your own control. So that's just, I think that's just great perspective. And then, you know, when you were talking about some of the challenges with the business, a lot of our audience is 
a real estate investor oriented or focused, but really mm-hmm. in spirit, we're all entrepreneurs and yeah. business minded. And you know, those are some of the challenges that we all face in any business when we're getting started. One, it's new. If you have partners, there may not be as much experience or familiarity with whatever the business subject is. And then capital, right? So everybody has a limited or most people have a limited amount of capital to work with to get things off the ground. Even if you're bringing in outside capital and investors, it's only it's finite, you know, typically, or if you're just bootstrapping the business yourself and taking your savings and funding it, it's a challenge. But that's where people and companies like the Ice Cap Group come in. And now that's kind of a perfect transition into the the lending side of the conversation that I'd like to get into you get into with you. The you know, us in the real estate investing community, some of us get a little bit fearful when we hear hard money or private money. What does that really mean? I mean, can you kind of clear up what it is you guys do from a lending standpoint? Is hard money something that people should be afraid of? And do you even consider yourself hard money or is it more or less private money? So is hard money something that people should be afraid of? I think the answer to that is yes, right? When you're moving into this hard money space, you're walking into the ocean. There are dangers out there. So I see people who are lenders out there. I don't consider them my competitors, but there are lenders out there who call themselves hard money lenders who are taking 13 and three, 14 and four, guys that are out there to take advantage of inexperience, guys that are out there that are loan to own lenders. So I'd say, yeah, you, 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 th- there's what to be careful of out there. If you hear someone offering you 13 and three, and a br- if a broker brings you a 13 and three deal, run away. First of all, aside from that's not market, it's also really hard to make money at, at those rates. So there are guys charging usurious rates. There are guys that have loan docs that make it like almost impossible to pay things off. And I think that's been more marginalized over the past couple of years with, with new, real strong players coming into the market. But for what we have, and I, I think a lot of us are, at least for me, are moving away from like this hard money terminology. So private lending, it, th- there's interesting opportunities in private lending. So we do, we have really three different buckets that, are, that we'll lend into. One is the fix and flip, which rates will be anywhere from like sevens up to nines, ten, a point or two at origination. And we'll be anywhere from 80 to 90% of your initial purchase, and 100% of the renovations. We do that. We'll do multifamily, which is similar to the fix and flip. Leverages are a little bit lighter, but it's generally bigger numbers and for more experienced borrowers. And then we're doing our term loans, which I think is the, not only ours, just what's out there. Those are really good loans for investors. An investor buys a property, fixes it up, and now can, can get a 30-year loan at a reasonable rate the rent should more than cover the debt service on that property. They make money for the rest of their lives. Don't have to worry about interest rate fluctuations. So I'd say when, once you're getting into the space of term loans, you have much less to worry about, right? It's not, it, it's a more institutional space. It's real private, semi-quasi-institutional money, less to worry about. In the multifamily bridge, less to worry about. New guys that are coming into the hard money space, worry. I'm actually appreciative of the way you answered that question because, I mean, you guys make those types of loans and you could have easily just painted a different picture there. But I think what I would hope comes through to the listening audience is that you need to be careful with really any type of lending, but in particular, what people think of as hard money. And it's not necessarily, well, for a bunch of things, but obviously one, you need to make sure that the deal that you're entering into 
has a good chance of being successful, which you guys yeah. do. You double check that in your underwriting, I'm sure. But then two, I guess it sounds like what you're saying is not all hard money lenders are the same. So what Ezra was talking about there with the 13 and three and the 14 and four, I think is what you mentioned. Those are the loan terms. And some of them can be very aggressive, which will make it difficult for an investor to make money or be successful. And you also use the term loan to own, which means some of the people out there lending it may actually, it might be in their best interest to foreclose and take the property. You know, most legit yeah. lenders that are making loans, institutional, private, whatever, obviously they don't want to have to foreclose. That's a, yeah. a obstacle that they want to avoid. They want you to keep your property. They just want to make money on the money that they lent you so they can continue doing that over and over again. But that's not, I guess, what could be said for everybody out there. So that's where there are some areas where people that are coming into this space need to be aware of and be cautious of. So I appreciate your honesty there. So for the, a lot of our listeners out there, I think most of them are curious about this stuff. And what you just said is probably some of the stuff that they're afraid of. Oh, is this person going to make it so difficult for me on the lending terms that it's not, I'm not going to be able to be successful with the deal. And then I'm going to lose out the lose on the property. How would you suggest somebody that is getting started into private money or hard money, be able to identify somebody who is legitimate versus somebody that they may want to be leery of? Is it more aggressive rates? Is that usually the big red flag? Or is there any other indicators that you could point to? So I would say that the very high rates, you just kind of want to stay away from. I I look at anyone who's willing to charge 13% to a a new borrower, someone who's trying to take advantage and isn't someone that you want to, you'd want to partner with for a really long time. If you can ask for references, I would do that. I think, I think it's important. Make sure that the people that you're working with have funded deals in your neighborhood, that what their foreclosure rates are like, how, how many, we try not to foreclose. So how many deals are actually, have they taken over what the loan docs look like? If they push back against you having your own lawyer at close, that for sure you, you want to be able to have, and I think you should, you want to make sure your loan docs are good. And then protecting themselves, they want to make sure people want to make sure that if they run over budget, they're okay, that they have the financial padding to, to weather that storm as an investor, not just a borrower, that if things take longer than expected, they're okay. If the market softens a bit, they're okay. So don't, I'd say, vet your lender, check their experience, have a conversation with them. If they're too eager to sell you, don't believe it. And the other thing I would say, which is less nefarious, is... You want a lender who is a lender. So there are a, a lot of lenders out there who, are, who don't have any of their own capital. So make sure that when you're doing this, that you can speak to a decision maker. And if you can't speak to a decision maker, either that lender has no money or maybe that lender is just too big for you, right? So if you can only speak to a paper pusher, it might not be the right, uh, right deal for you. And then especially for new, new borrowers, you want to speak, you want to kind of be able to speak back and forth with some people who can give you guidance. So I, I had a, a borrower who was buying in North Carolina recently. It was his first time buying and he brought me a deal. He said, what do you think of this deal? And I said, I think it's a terrible deal. Don't get involved. And he said, oh, okay. So w- where are my mistakes here? I said, here, 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 and here are where I, I think you should be paying attention. Get rid of this one, get a different one, get a different deal. See if you can get a, a, a three-week diligence We'll have our underwriters underwrite it for you. We'll let you know what we think is going to happen. The last thing you want, and, and if I can't do it, make sure I'll, I'll let you know fast that I can't do it. You can see if there's anyone else who can, but you don't want to be at the altar with a hard deposit and without money to close. So yeah. 
that's kind of my rambling guidance. All that makes sense. Obviously, you check references. And if it's somebody that's new, doesn't have a track record, that's probably something you want to be, you know, shy away from. Yeah. Sorry. Doesn't have a track record you want to shy away from, shy away from. And like you said, being able to communicate with either the decision maker or somebody that you know you're going to be talking to throughout the process. Like you want to be, you want to know who you're working with. You want to know Mm -hmm. the person that's actually going to be in it with you. And like you just mentioned, having, giving, providing guidance and assistance it's in the lender's interest for the deal to be successful. That's why you guys do your underwriting process beforehand. This is a good opportunity to go into kind of, I think the two factors of the lending space that I think our audience would be the most interested in, and that's going to be the fix and flip or the rehab loan, whatever you want to call it. And then the term mortgage, right? So the cash out refi, typically somebody either funds it privately or with their own cash. And then they want to go to a a lender and do a cash out refi to pay out, pay themselves back off or their partners off. And then they've got the performing investment for the life of that investment. So those two components, I think are the probably going to be the, the most of interest to our audience. Now, when you guys go in with your fix and flip, I think some new investors think, well, why would somebody want to give me this loan when other banks will not? Like if it, if a bank won't do it, why would somebody else want to do this? What's the difference and what's in it for you guys? Or why, why does this make sense for, for you? Can you explain to our listening audience why you guys are in the business of helping investors go in and be able to make a cash purchase that wouldn't typically qualify from your conventional loans? Yeah. So we are not regulated in the same way that banks are. So banks are going to get dinged on non-performing assets. So a non-performing asset for a bank is anything that doesn't have cash flow, right? If it's a vacant house, vacant three family, vacant whatever it is, that's an X on when they get their, their grade, right? So it, it's a ding, 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 ding. And, they, and the more of those they put on, the, the worse their book looks like to the regulators. So I don't know if, from, if it's really from a financial perspective or just from this regulatory perspective where banks don't want to play in this, in this game. That's why they won't be there. In general, they're more conservative than we would be, right? They're dealing with people's deposits. We're just dealing with investors who are saying, go out and make a risky, riskier investment than having cash in the bank. And then I think that's pretty much it, right? It's, yeah. it's regulation and risk tolerance. Right. Okay. And correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, but you guys, when you're lending on like a fix and flip or a rehab loan, you're not necessarily qualifying the individual or you're not qualifying the individual based on like their income or their DTI or debt to income ratio as if they were buying the home for themselves to live in where a bank would look at that situation and say, we need to make sure right. that you make enough money plus your cost of living to have enough left over to comfortably pay this mortgage every month and a cushion right. in the bank. You, the criteria that you guys are looking at and lending on are different. And I think it has more to do with the deal itself and the numbers behind the deal. That's why you do your underwriting. And then from the individual's level, I'm sure you run credit. You just make sure this person isn't going under bankruptcies and completely horrible managing money. But then two, has the experience and the ability to actually execute on the project itself. Is that sound about right for what you guys land on? That's a hundred percent right. And I'll, I'll just give you the extreme example of that. Sometimes we'll give for experienced investors, the right size deal up to 90% leverage on the purchase and 100% of the renovation dollars. So any lender knows you don't want to be at 90% of value on a loan, right? And then with 100% of the renovation, we're over 90%, right? So let's say it's a $100,000 purchase and a $30,000 renovation. We gave him 90,000 and then 30,000. So we're in for 130, he's only in for 10. So if that was it, if we were at 120 and he was at 130, 
it, that would be kind of scary. But what we're betting on is that we have a good borrower with a plan that we've vetted with him and his ability to complete that plan. We're going to say, okay, we have 90 plus 30, but this thing isn't worth 130 now. Now it's worth, let's say, 200. So we're at a 65 loan to after a fair value. And this guy has a path to success. So we're going to look at him and say, okay, does he have the experience to get this done? And do we have the confidence to give him 90%? Does this plan actually work? And is he going to have the ability to take us out? So we don't want him to have to sell. We want to be able to take us out through a term loan or some or, or a bank loan or something else that's going to get him out of this property without the need to sell. So looking at credit, looking at experience, looking at background, looking at the plan, looking at liquidity in that market, making sure that this house isn't a white elephant of all the other houses in the neighborhood are going to end up having $200,000 sale after they're repaired. I don't want an $800,000 house, the $200,000 market, just because the liquidity isn't there. So we're betting heavily on our borrower's ability to get this done as opposed to his ability to to hold this loan for a, a very extended period of time. Yeah, great breakdown. And I think for our listening audience out there, that I hope it helps paint a picture for you guys that are interested or curious about this space and maybe having a hard time getting going in real estate investing, right? So maybe you're, you're hearing this and you're saying, well, I don't have all the experience in the world. I'm analyzing deals and I'm, I think it's going to make sense, but I haven't done one before. This is where I also talk all the time about partnerships. You know, if you have a partner who is a contractor who has experience in rehabbing and remodeling, but maybe is capital strapped and you've got the down payment, you guys could partner, come to IceCap Group, present your deal and see if they're willing to fund it. The other thing I think that's critical about what you just said is that it's really a relationship between you guys and the lender. That's why you said it's important for people to be able to know who they're working with. You guys want the deal to be successful. So you're looking at the individual or the people borrowing to make sure that you have the confidence that they're going to deliver. But then you're looking at it on paper too, and making sure what they're telling you that what they think the ARV is or the after repair value is makes sense. You're going to check the comps in the area. I mean, you guys do your underwriting. So really as a listener out there thinking about being afraid of a, a hard money or private money lender, they're really your partner because there's a that's another set of eyeballs on the deal that's going to either tell you that this deal is not going to work. We're not going to fund it. That, that should tell you right there that it's not a great deal in their opinion. And this is what they do every day. Or it's going to give you the confidence that, yeah, this we think this makes sense. We think it's going to work. They're not going to give you the money if they don't think it's going to work out. So I think viewing it as a partnership should help maybe take some of those fears away when people hear hard money. I try to tell all of our borrowers, I hope I make a little bit of money on the deal and you make a lot of money. So I don't want to make too much because if I make too much, something didn't go right for you. You need to make a lot of money. And on a $100,000 deal, $200,000, even a half a million dollar deal, we don't make enough money. The idea is we want you to succeed so we can do this over and over and over again. And we'll have guys who would do 50 deals with over, over the course of the next several years. And that's where we really make our money. So I, we want them to succeed. It's, it's hard work bringing in a new, a new borrower. The other thing is we had an interesting story, and you can cut this out if you don't like it, where we had a borrower come in and they were buying a building for $2 million in Brooklyn. And a broker brought it to me and he said, all right, you know, how much will you lend on this $2 million building? Did our underwrite? I said, I'm not lending anything. I'm not going to give a loan at all. And broker said, why? I said, because our borrower is overpaying by $300,000. The building is not worth $2 million. It's worth $1.7 million. I don't see any way she's going to make money on this deal. And he said, so what do you care? 
you're not the borrower, you're the lender. Lend on a million seven and wherever it goes, it goes. And I said, no, it's not worth it for me. I want to be involved in deals that are going to succeed with borrowers who are going to make money. And we passed on the deal. The broker was left scratching his head. He said, you could have given him a million dollars and you would have been okay. I said, that's fine. But we want to be involved in success stories and success stories over and over again. And unfortunately, someone did do that loan. And the loan last time we checked was in default. So it's a waste of everyone's time and energy when you have to go through default. Life is too short and we want to be involved in those successful deals. So if, you, if someone brings us a deal and we don't like it, we'll let them know. We're not, we're not shy. No. And I think that it paints a clear picture to people out there listening that if you guys are going to say no to a deal, that should be a, a, a sign to somebody, right? So like if I want to do this project and you guys think it's not going to work, the, the whole concept of you taking it from me, that's not in your best interest. What you guys want is to be able to have repeat customers. I guess that's what, yeah. the, what I was trying yeah. to say there. That, that's the yeah. way that I think people should view it is that they want you to be private money and hard money lenders want you to be successful because they want to continue to lend to you. They don't want to take the property from you and then you're bankrupt and you don't ever do any more deals. They make money by repeat business, just like most businesses do. And one thing, one thing I think that a lot of borrowers can can benefit from is when they have a deal that's rejected, ask why. And I've offered it to borrowers. I said, look, you sent me these five deals. I'm telling you no on all of them. But if you want to have a conversation about why, I'll hop on a call with you. One of my underwriters will hop on a call and explain to you what the issues were. So you know, you as a borrower know when you're looking for your next deal, what you should be looking for. Not only because as a, as a lender where it, it, it would be easier for us, but as a, if it's easier for us as a lender, it's most likely going to be easier for you as a borrower as well. Yeah. Communication. I think that's key in just about everything in life, but especially business uh, and being successful in business. It's communication with your partners and the people, your customers, every aspect of it is critical. Okay. Real quickly. Now, the other side of that coin on the fix and flip or the rehab loan is that cash out refire, that term loan. So once mm -hmm. you've helped somebody get that acquisition of that flip project or that uh, burr or whatever it is they're trying to do, or they're buy and hold, now that they've completed it and executed the next step is to get a cash out or a long-term loan. How do you guys help investors in that regard? So it's really one of my favorite parts of this business. So when the project is complete, it's rented out. We take someone down from either one of our loans or someone else's loan where they're paying seven, eight, nine, 10%. And we'll get them a, a loan between seven, let's say 65 to 80% of the current value. And it's a long-term loan, 30 years locked in at an interest rate in the, the fours, low fives. And now to me, it, it's success. You've either, you've locked in now, either with or without a cash out, an income stream really for the rest of your career, right? So you did this work, you've, you've added value. It's now acknowledged in the marketplace. And every month you have a spread between the rent you collect and your mortgage and other expenses. So you might walk away with 100, 200, whatever the number is, but every month now for the rest of your career. And as you grow that and you grow your portfolio, that number grows as well. And for me, I love those loans and I'm not a tax professional, so don't take tax advice from me. But from a tax perspective, borrowers are not realizing their gains immediately, right? So they didn't sell, you sell, that's a, either a short-term capital gain, long-term capital gain, you're paying taxes on that. When you refi, you're making money on what you otherwise would be taxed on. So that's still your capital until you sell that building. And if you 1031, it's one thing. If you don't, you pay your taxes there. So you're not paying 
your capital gains, you're also collecting depreciation throughout the life of this project. So it's kind of like this, this amazing situation where you're, okay, I don't pay taxes, I get money off of my taxes, and I'm going to have an income forever, never have to worry about interest rate fluctuation again. And for me, that's, when I see people who do that, do it over and over again, I say these people have a formula for building wealth that I really believe in and I'm, I'm proud to be part of. Yeah. Two things. Like you just said, in, instead of flipping it, whatever equity or your profit would be, your equity is still locked in the asset. So it's like having it sit in the bank. And then by holding it, it's making money for you. So you're collect- it's still there. The principal pay down, pay down is in effect by your tenant paying it off for you. It's cash flowing. You take depreciation. And now instead of putting that equity in the bank and having to pay taxes on it, it's still there for you. So good stuff there. The second thing there is that what you just mentioned about the whole process from the fix and flip to then the, the buy and hold. Again, to people who are maybe apprehensive about doing this, this is another set of eyes that's looking at the whole project and saying, yeah, we think your numbers are right. We think you can buy it, fix it up for this much. It's not going to be worth this much. Our term loans, we're only doing 70, 80%. So that's verifying that that equity should be there for you and that your numbers are accurate on rents and cash flow. So by working with Ezra and the IceCap group, that should give you confidence that what your plan is is going to be successful if they are willing to lend on it from start to finish. Not just I'm going to flip it and make a little bit of money, but I think it's going to cash flow and I can hold this property. And like you said, take advantage of all those benefits and build wealth over time. Great stuff there. And now, Ezra, it's time for our segment, Advice from Our Invest Guest. It's three questions we ask our guests each week. And I'm going to start with question number one. What's one thing you can recommend to people out there who have not started investing yet that they can do right now to get them on their way? If your credit card balance is low, pay your bills on time. So the first thing is everyone out there pays a lot of attention to credit score. You can read all the books you want. You can save up the money. If your credit score is 600, it's going to be expensive. It's easy to pay a bill if you have the money on time. Paying it a few days late after the 30th of the month shows up on your credit report, and it takes a long time to figure that out, especially on what I said with our favorite type of loan, those term loans. It's a credit score-based rate that you're going to get. Keep your credit as high as you can as in terms of your credit score. Balance is low. Pay on time. You're gonna, everyone knows they got to get an education. Everyone knows that they need to have the capital there, but, but pay attention to that credit score from now. Yeah, great advice. Like we, the private lending for people getting started that don't have the best credit in the world, it's there so that you still have the opportunity to do it. But if you have good credit, if you work on your credit, it's only going to make it easier for you and save you money. So good advice yeah. there. Question number two, looking back, and this one's somewhat unique, I think, because your business is somewhat different than most of my guests. But looking back, what's one thing that you might do differently if you were to do it again and if you were to start back over? So what would I do differently? I probably would have tried to start this business 10 years earlier, which, which you know, I just, lo- I love what I do right now. So I really wouldn't have done much differently in terms of this business. But I'd say that a mistake that we made is sometimes we don't realize just how some people will do things that are, I'll say beyond questionable, where they're outright lies. And you're like, okay, this person isn't going to just say something that's completely untrue. And Unfortunately, we've seen in this space, whether it's from borrower or whether it's from a broker, there are like real misrepresentations. So I'd say that trust and verify, really be very good at your verification. So from the buying perspective, if a seller tells you something, they're very much motivated for you to believe them. You need to check out yourself. 
verify, verify, verify. I'd say the times we've got burned were the times we believed and didn't verify enough. So yeah. that's really only no, no, those are, that's great advice. Yeah. I mean, two, number one, starting sooner, that comes up a lot. I mean, that's taking action for everybody out there listening that hasn't started yet. Now's the time you got to take action, make it happen. But two, I like that. Trust and verify. You're, you're right. I mean, I think naturally we as humans like to just believe and, and trust. We're trustworthy people. Unfortunately, not everybody out there is trustworthy. So trust and verify. Great advice. An issue that I've seen is that borrowers have believed appraisers. So a broker will say, look, I have the appraisal for you. You can trust this for your valuation. Same type of thing. The borrower didn't do their own diligence. They believed the appraisal. The appraiser was in cahoots with the broker and the seller. Verify, verify, verify. Know your business. Yeah. Good stuff. And do you have a suggestion of if their appraiser is giving them a number, where's a good source that they could check for an appraisal, maybe a local real estate agent, or they have any recommendations there? So I'd say, first of all, Zillow is great. Zillow lot lines. You want to see things trading in the area for what you believe that you're going to get to. So you'll say, okay, I can get to this level of renovations for this house. I see lots of similar houses in the neighborhood trading for that number of dollars. If someone tells you you're going to sell for much more, don't believe them. Just keep it, especially in the beginning, keep it simple. It shouldn't be that complicated. No, you shouldn't have to take a leap of faith. Yeah. Okay. Great advice. Okay. And question number three, do you have a book recommendation for our audience? Maybe something that would help them understand the different types of lending that's out there or something along those lines. But if not, any good book recommendation you might have? So recently I read The Psychology of Money. I think it's a good book and it, it, it lets you think about how to invest and how to spend. It's not real estate specific, but it kind of gives you a good point of view and a good vantage point for what your money is. Yeah, it's things that you can do, but it's also the investments that you're going to make, the money that that's going to make, and just thinking about compound interest. So I like that book. Just good for anyone who has a job, is investing, or wants to have a retirement at some point in their lives. Awesome. Great stuff. Great stuff. Ezra, this has been a lot of fun. For our audience out there that's listening right now, if they want to learn more about you guys and what you do at IceCap Group, how can they get in touch with you? So they can go to borrower.icecapgroup.com or just icecapgroup.com and click on borrower. They can look us up on LinkedIn, on Instagram. They can reach out to us on Facebook, on our website. We're available. You can ask for me or you can ask for any one of our originators. Everyone here is happy to help. And we'll tell you if we, if, if we have any useful guidance, even if we don't necessarily do a deal, we're happy to run ideas back and forth and let you know what we, what we think of your deal. Awesome. Great stuff. That's a great way to put it to our audience out there. I think hearing somebody say that even if you're not going to do business with you, they're there to kind of help guide and bounce some ideas back and forth. I think that means a lot. I'm going to put all those links down in our show notes below. So all of our audience out there that wants to reach out, you can click, scroll down and you'll see the links, but that's icecapgroup.com. And then they're also on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at icecapgroup. Ezra, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on with me today and and sharing all of your knowledge and experience regarding lending and real estate investing. It's been a pleasure. Wish you nothing but success in 2021 and beyond. And hopefully we can have you back sometime. Thank you, Trevor. Looking forward. And it was great. Thank you for joining us on the InvestNest Real Estate Investing Show. Be sure to join the InvestNest.com and start learning and earning today.